I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed. It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome everybody, this is Toby Leary. I'm your host of Rapid Fire, our weekly radio and podcast show about all things Second Amendment, guns, freedom, self-defense, sometimes politics, and whatever else we get down the rabbit hole on. So uh, we're glad you've tuned in here and we're hoping you'll be a part of the show. Go to capegunworks.com and click on Rapid Fire. Get signed up to be alerted when we record and you will be notified when we go live so you can be a part of the discussion. You can type in your questions via chat or Facebook or many of the other big tech social media platforms and prepare to be censored one of these days, I'm sure. <laughs> but in the meantime, they're working. So it's okay. We're happy about that. We can't, you know, do anything with it or promote it or any of that stuff. But we're here and eventually we'll have to go to probably some alt site. But until that day, you can still find us on all the usual channels. So I'm happy to be here. It's been a little while since I uh, hosted the show. I was away and uh, we down in Florida doing some training and whatnot. And so we had a show take place for last Saturday. But alas, we're back. So glad to be back. We got a big show for you today. We have um, special guest Rob Pincus and also Keith Langer, who is quickly turning into our resident lawyer for the rapid fire show we're hoping to make him a little bit more of a regular guest and uh it's always good to do some uh legal segments with with keith so um we'll have him after the you know in the second segment so if you have some questions you know that we could get to uh, i have some that we're going to ask him right off the bat and hopefully uh we'll be able to churn through a few but as ever he's very in-depth with his legal analysis and so I highly recommend him as a lawyer if you do find yourself needing uh, some representation for gun rights issues or um, you know Second Amendment stuff he, he'd be the guy to go to um, there's a couple other great lawyers here in Massachusetts so there you have it lots in the news too uh, after last week's announcement of executive orders if you got a chance to do a deep dive into those executive orders. The most ironic thing about the whole announcement is no amendment is, what did he call it, uh, absolute or something to that effect. So therefore, your rights aren't really absolute rights. They're just something that we can tread on whenever we feel like it. And by the way, here's my plan for treading on your rights. So we're going to take away those non-absolute rights and alter them. But we're not really infringing on your Second Amendment while we do this. So, yeah, go figure. But uh, a couple of the targets that um, are, you know, painted on the Second Amendment are 
number one, quote unquote, ghost guns. So, you know, you have people who are really into the 3D printing of guns and frames and whatnot. And that's kind of a thing right now. It's it's gained quite a following. And so uh, Rob Pincus, who's one of our guests later, is obviously uh, a big outspoken proponent of that. He's been doing it a lot. When I was down in St. Augustine training with him, I got to see his setup. He had a couple of printers, and they were racing each other. He'd be printing a two Glock 17 frames. And, you know, a lot of this is open source stuff now. Uh, and you can download the CAD files and you can plug it right in and start printing. And we got to all try one or two and it was pretty cool. I thought it was, uh, you could customize them and tweak them to your liking, put back straps and palm swells and thumb rests and stuff print right into the, into the, uh, design. And so you set them up, you wait about 17 or 20 or 25 hours, depending on the, uh, you know, the level of resolution you're printing with. And uh, then it takes you another hour to clean them up and put the parts in them. And then after 30 or so hours, you you have a gun that fires. And if it's the wrong material, it blows up in your hand after three shots, <laughs> which happened to one of them. That was supposed to be a stronger material that he used. But for the most part, they run pretty good. You get a couple hundred rounds through them, and then the frames tend to break up and crack and whatnot. But Polymer 80 is another form of uh, do-it-yourself firearm. Uh, we sell a lot of the frames here at the shop, and they are an 80% lower, uh, like a Glock 17 or 19 frame. And they you basically come with a jig and some drill bits and some router bits and whatnot, and you can YouTube how to do it, and you see where to drill and how to drill and how to cut and how to clean it up. It takes you... Uh, as far as the government was concerned, that 30 minutes is way too quick. You can be from, you know, start to finish. You can have a working gun in 30 minutes. And guys like me with a tight schedule, I'm like, wait a minute, it's going to take me that long? Like, that's ridiculous. Why does it take that long? I want it to be like out of the box, snap a couple things off and put my slide on and then go to the range. That would be more appealing to me than 30 minutes. But apparently 30 minutes is too quick. It, so if you're making that argument that it's 30 minutes you can be up and shooting, you're missing the whole point. How long should freedom take? It should take as long as it takes to open a box or unpack it. But I digress. I usually go off on a rant about something. This week it's that. So 30, uh, 80% lowers is something that I think is a great hobby and fun project and you're already not a prohibited person from owning the gun then what's the big deal it's there's nothing nefarious about it um if you're a government and you're worried about law abiding or you know responsible gun owners having guns that you don't know about and that bothers you you're missing the point you don't get what the second amendment is all about uh the second amendment is about having guns and being free and free people don't ask government for permission the Second Amendment is not the government telling the people what they can and can't do. It is a contract with the people about what the government can't do. And the government can't infringe upon our rights. We all know how that's played out in the last couple hundred years. But they are winning in certain states. Right now, I think Tennessee just became the 20th, 19th or 20th 
conceal, uh, constitutional carry state. So there's certain areas of the country that the needle is moving in the right direction. Uh, Texas governor is like, how come we're not a concealed, uh, you know, constitutional carry state? Why has this not happened yet? And uh, so it's moving in the right direction in a lot of places. But federally now, the Second Amendment is squarely within the sights of the, you know, administration and uh, is planning on using his power as uh, president for executive orders, which I don't think he has any power over Second Amendment um, and whatever he does will be challenged, just like the bump stock was by regulation from the Trump administration. So there you have that. Um, before we get to our first guest, um, we're going to get to a couple of your questions on the on the chat here. So um, I, I appreciate all those who jump in when we're recording live and, and ask questions. So I want to make sure we take time for that. Um, okay. Sounds good. Um, Keith is not going to be on next segment, so we're going to go right to Rob. Uh, but anyway, quick question is uh, Sunny saying, my wife and her two sisters are taking the LTC class today, and I'm very happy about that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sunny. We're glad that she is. Um, do we have any G17 RMR slides to fit the Polymer 80 frames? Not at the moment, Bob, but we will be getting some. And uh, yeah, so... Um, all right, we will be right back. You're going to listen to Rob Pincus' interview on the on the inbound. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the first focal plane Diamondback Tactical. At the intersection of precision and value, the Diamondback Tactical first focal plane rifle scopes deliver an impressive array of features and performance. The XD optical system and fully multi-coated lenses transmit a crisp, bright sight picture. First focal plane, glass etched reticle keeps subtensions accurate throughout the 4x zoom range. Exposed tactical turrets and a side parallax knob give shooters the tools needed for long distance precision shooting. The single piece 30mm tube is ruggedly built to withstand recoil and impacts. Strong O-ring seals and nitrogen purging guarantee waterproof and fogproof performance. Purpose built to extend your effective range and stretch your dollar, the Diamondback Tactical comes equipped with the features you need at an unbelievable price. And it's covered for life by the Vortex VIP warranty. This is Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary, your host. You've been listening. You can join us every week on Saturdays from 7 to 8 p.m. or live on the web if you go to capegunworks.com and click on Rapid Fire. And we're really happy to have Rob Pincus with us here today. So thanks for coming in, Rob. And we just completed a couple days of training with him, and so that went really well. We're really excited about that. And if you haven't been training with him before, you need to get signed up for the fall at the Worcester Pistol and Rifle Club in Bristol through goal. But welcome. Thanks, man. Great to be here. You know, Cape Kenworks is—it's uh, been great. It's coming up on your fourth anniversary here, and it's been—it's uh, been awesome to watch you guys develop. This is the first time we've used the scenario rooms. Um, it's been been awesome to be here, and, and yeah, I'll be uh, up in Boylston uh, with Goal. You know, obviously you've been up there. That's where we met uh, right. many many years ago. So it's been—it's uh, been awesome to watch you guys grow, and now you're doing rapid fire. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's been fun. We're we're enjoying it, and we're growing. We're going to be on some new stations coming up. So th that's exciting too. And uh, we'll definitely have you on again. And you were actually on 
in our early stages of this whole concept when we were just doing live streams and you know when we were shut down because of covid we had you on one of those days and uh so that's what this is a birth of is yeah that- you guys have really come a long way it's great to, it's great to see you know we need more more and more professional voices polished voices experienced voices you know and, and you have a great sense i think of what's going on not just you know out here on the cape or not just even in massachusetts but really in the gun world right you're working in the gun industry now for years you train you talk to a lot of different people you teach and uh, obviously dealing with your customers gives you a lot of insights. So I, I appreciate you being a, a voice for responsible gun ownership. Well, I'm glad to do it. It's been a lifelong dream of ours, and here we are. So that's that's exciting. And so obviously in the gun world, there's no shortage of directions to take the conversation right now. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, things are moving fast and furious and, and, you know, with legislation and obviously training and restrictions and even just the conversation around that whole Thing. And you're certainly no, no stranger to being in the center of that uh, that storm, if you will. And, you know, I know that a lot has happened even in the last month or so with you being in the center of that storm. And I think you're one of the great voices of bridging the gap and reaching out and and being inclusive of many types of people, you know, all types of people. And I've also kind of you know, I feel like almost a student of that, that, you know, the Second Amendment is for everybody. And but you take it to a new level with organizations and, you know, your your vast Rolodex of gun industry people and even those who aren't in the gun industry. So you have opportunity come your comes your way a lot of times. I'm sure you make it happen more than just it, it falls in your lap often. But, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff, even with Dan Gross, that's taken place in the last couple weeks or months with, uh, you know, who's the former head of the Brady, uh, you know, Center for Gun Violence or whatever the heck they call themselves these days. But uh, tell us yeah, a there's, bit there's a lot going on, man. It is it is definitely, um, you know, it's a contentious time. People are worried. They should be. Um, you know, Biden has made it clear that he's coming after guns with or without the uh, support of Congress, which means executive orders. We've seen this before, right, with bump stocks and mm-hmm. other executive orders that work against us. And we really need as many allies as we can get. And what we really need to do is stop this conversation being about talking points and being about extremists and extremism. Right. And, I, you know, people catch a lot of flack, you know, in the gun community when they don't just pound on the table and say shall not be infringed. As you noted, I've been taking a lot of flack for a long time for a lot of different right. reasons, whether it's the training community, the politics, whatever it is. And, and I'm just I'm lucky to have a lot of great collaborators from, from all over the world, all over the U.S., all over the gun industry, all over the medical community, now the mental health community, what we do with Walk the Talk America, who understand that this isn't about extremism. This isn't about people who want to take all the guns away versus people who want, you know, vending machine guns, you know, vendings with, with uh, vending machines with machine guns in the middle school. Like, it, it, that isn't all this is about. There's a whole bunch of people, like 99% of Americans in the middle ground, who really do care about having safer communities in a safer country. And a lot of us own guns because we honestly believe that owning guns makes us safer, makes our country safer. Mm-hmm. That's the reason we have the Second Amendment explicitly, right, to protect our way of life, to protect our country. The reality is that as an individual, we also have the right to protect ourselves, right, that right to preserve one's own life. We have the opportunity to protect other people if we see them being victimized and attacked. And the firearm helps us to be better prepared to do that in very specific circumstances. Does that come with risks? Absolutely. The work you do, the work I do, the work so many people in the gun community do works and aims at 
mitigating those risks, right? We're not denying the risks. This is one of the, the problems with the demonization of the gun community is if we either don't care about the negative outcomes that are involving guns or we're denying that there are negative outcomes involving guns, right? Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of the deaths most years that are involving firearms in our country are suicide deaths, right? right? And, and when we talk about them as gun violence or gun deaths, I think it's fair to say, even, even if you call them shooting deaths, did the person shoot themselves? Yes, but is it what we think of? Is it what the average person, especially outside of the gun community, thinks of when we say shooting death? You know, absolutely not. So being genuine about what the real problems are and acknowledging that the gun community is doing so much. I mean, the gun community does more in the first hour of any day than anti-gunners do in, in a whole year right. to mitigate risk by being responsible gun owners, by preventing unauthorized access, by, you know, not carrying guns when we're drunk, by not handing guns to kids that don't know how to use them, by not just leaving loaded guns laying around. Right. Does it happen every once in a while? Absolutely. Is it a tragedy? Absolutely. Does the gun community work to make it not happen? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think along the lines of what you're talking about, you alluded to it with the uh, percentage there, but out of the 40-odd thousand gun deaths a year, uh, I think you can boil it down to about ten to 12,000 are actual gun violence, right? That, or, you know, somewhere in that range. The rest are uh, suicides, like you mentioned, maybe police officer involved shootings or, um, you know, uh, you know, negligent killing of yeah, themselves it, it, or accidents, accidents, stuff like that. So, yeah, we yeah. see we see 25, like I said, 25 to 35 percent, somewhere in that range. So two thirds of the of the firearms involved deaths are suicides. And, you know, even, you know, we get a lot of stuff about terminology, right? Like magazine versus clip. We talk about that kind of stuff right. inside the gun community. Outside of the gun community, we need to remember that some of these things, like like you even said, you know, gun violence. Mm -hmm. Well, is a, is a police officer shooting someone who's threatening that officer or other people in the public space? Is that gun violence? I mean, it's firearms involved and it's a violent act, right? right? Shooting someone is a violent act. Plenty of people in the gun community wear the shirts, right? Sometimes violence is the answer. Right. And you kind of bravado through that, but God forbid somebody that's not, you know, with us uses the word violence and gun or firearm in the same sentence and people act like that's somehow inappropriate. We can't have it both ways. And I think that's the problem with the extremism and the division. It's it, what it is, you know, it's, it's preference over principle. I prefer that we be able to say whatever we want, but I will attack the other side for somehow being, you know, wrong or disingenuous or inaccurate with their terminology. Mm. If the principle is, let's not call it gun deaths because guns didn't die. Let's not call it guns, gun violence because the gun doesn't commit the violence the person does, then cool. But we need to do that too. And that's why I use phrases like, you know, suicide involving a firearm, or I say uh, firearms involve deaths or negative outcomes involving firearms. I think these are really important things to talk about because we need to be talking not just inside our own circle. And again, this is what you mentioned, Dan Gross. And I mean, he just had an amazing uh, opportunity that was created by an article we wrote together that was published at, at Amoland. And we chose to publish that Amoland to force a conversation. It was an uncomfortable conversation. A lot of people got mad at me. You know, uh, Dan Gross spoke uh, on the Capitol grounds in November of 2019 in front of thousands of gun owners with, with dozens of gun rights advocates uh, being on that stage. 
they shared the stage with him. He spoke about how some of the people that he used to work with inside of the gun control community were just incredibly disingenuous, that they really don't respect individual rights. They really don't respect gun owners. They really do want to take away guns. They really do misunderstand the value of things like magazine capacity bans and assault weapon bans. They misrepresent the truth about the issues surrounding how, how important mental health and suicide issues are and, and preventing the guns from being stolen, right? Access control. It's not about his great quote, you know, from one of his, from one of his speeches, actually a TED talk was we should be trying to take some of the guns away from everyone. We should be trying to take all of the guns away from this small number of people that, you know, he says everyone agrees. Now, I get it. We, we will disagree about who those people are that shouldn't have access to guns. But we probably can all think of one person we know or right. met or seen or read a story about at least. Well, yeah, maybe that person. So shall not be infringed? Absolutely. All gun rights are infringements? Absolutely. I, I get that. Fundamentally and in principle, I understand the importance of always coming back to the Second Amendment. But we're a long way from shall not be infringed in this country, and we have been for hundreds of years, longer mm -hmm. than that, right? When, back when the cowboys took their guns off at the edge of town, that was gun control. Right. So it, it's not like magically, you know, Joe Biden gets elected and we're going to magic our way back to, you know, 1804 with shall not be infringed. That's right. just not real. Right. We need to work just like they work incrementally against us. We need to be working incrementally back Right. towards shall not be infringed. And that requires working outside of the echo chamber. And, you know, I think Dan Gross is a perfect example of what the poster child of what we are trying to accomplish really is, is seeing someone who is hardline anti-gun, now all of a sudden a gun rights advocate. And that only happens through education and having the discussion in the uncomfortable spaces in the, not in the echo chamber, like you said, which I think is huge. And when you boil it all down, like the, the language that you mentioned that is disingenuous from the anti-gun crowd is, I read it yesterday in the newspaper, the epidemic of gun violence mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. our cities. Like we just came through a pandemic of 200,000 people dying, right? And you look at the gun-related death in our inner cities or however you break down the data and it's roughly 10 to 15,000 people a year. That is far from an epidemic. Epidemic means like we have a good chance of walking outside our house and catching a bullet and dying. And so the educational part of this is actually shining a light into those dark corners and hopefully seeing more people have the honest, you know, ability to, to say that is the discussion needs to change absolutely like, like you know Dan and, Gross just... and and the thing is like so here's the here's the problem i'm having you know with a lot of people who like would be leaders people who are viewed as leaders people who want to be leaders in the gun community and, and the gun uh space right the thought leaders the problem with them is that they really are revealing just how disingenuous they are when they say they're doing advocacy and they say they're doing education and they say that they're lobbying for change but when you have an example like Dan Gross, of incredible change. I mean, this guy, when his brother was in a coma from being shot at a, during a mass shooting in 1997, he said, and it's on the record, he said, only why, why do people have handguns? No one but police should have handguns. Now, he was not a gun guy. He was never around guns. He wasn't a gun control guy. He just was a guy whose brother was in the hospital in a coma, whose brother's best friend was just killed in a per, seven-person shooting in New York City. And this, again, was 1997. He's come a long way in 20-something years to now be advocating and, and in the New York Times writing a story that last time I looked had like 800 comments, an amazing amount of support 
from a very left-leaning, normally kind of seen as gun control or anti-gun publication, allowing him to say, the gun control community is making mistakes. I used to make some of those same mistakes. And he even calls out in that article, we all talk about this after mass shootings, but mass shootings are less than 1% mm -hmm. of the deaths. And not only are they less than 1% of the deaths, he points out in the article that he wrote there, he talks about the idea that even gun negligence, accidents with guns, are a greater number of deaths in this country than mass shootings in most years. Well, what does that tell you? That tells you that working with the gun community, working with us, genuine safety, genuine education, public awareness, again, kind of like the stuff we do with Walk the Talk America, education about proactive mental health, education about voluntarily giving the guns to the gun shop or your friend when you're in a crisis moment, when you're in a suicidal moment, working with mental health professionals that understand gun owners. and. So for educators or, or advocates or lobbyists in the gun community to say, we want to create change and then refuse to accept the change when they see it, when the guy is standing on the Capitol grounds with us and yet still denying it, even after you've been there and you drank with them and you hung out and you talked to them and then to attack, you know, well, we still don't trust them, you know, or worse yet, I get a lot of the text messages, right? Like, uh, well... I understand what you're doing and good luck with it, but there's no way I'm taking that kind of heat, right? And it's just, it's disappointing to see so many people who should be leaders be so afraid of admitting that what we're doing is actually working. Right. Well, I think it's a great thing and a move in the right direction, especially with, it seems like in the last 10 years, there's been an explosion of advocacy and education and shining the light on, you know, the un wanted gun deaths, you know, uh, certainly suicide or negligence. And I mean, just look at what it, where we've come from the last 50 years when it was pretty commonplace to read about somebody's friend or somebody's relative that died accidentally because they were just, you know, negligent with a gun. We've certainly seen all that reduction, but we would love to continue to see it, you know, with the improvement of mental health and, you know, gun ownership communities and not whisper and pretend it doesn't happen but bring it out into the open and see people get help that they need who might be afraid under normal circumstances to even admit it because they don't want their guns taken away you know and if there if, if if there's outlets out there like walk the talk america that can help with that or you know all the different versions of hold my gun we've certainly held guns for people in the past and will continue to do so and and uh you know but we, we appreciate the work that you do, Rob, and I know uh, you're one of the hardest working guys in the business, and uh, we, we appreciate your nonstop you know, work ethic in this, and not to mention the education you bring on a you know, defensive firearms level to the people who really need it. So I'm a student, and I'm also uh, a co-instructor, and I appreciate that. So um, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll certainly get you back back on the show soon and uh, I appreciate it. This is the Voltec VT-10i. It's your travel buddy so it goes where you go. To your work, on the road, or at the range. It's the smart and rugged safe built to protect no matter what you trust it with. We've made sure every inch of your safe is built to the highest possible standards. Security is at the forefront of our thoughts, so no unwanted guest. The VT-10i provides multiple quick and simple access points, including high-resolution biometrics, backlit numeric keys, 
speed entry, and even your smartphone for remote access. The two-point anti-impact latches keep your safe strong, and Voltec lithium-ion battery charges in just 2.5 hours and lasts up to six months. So it won't let you down. There's a reason we're the number one rated biometric safe. Get yours at VoltecSafe.com and find us online at Facebook.com slash VoltecSafe. Polarized, rugged, and extremely clear, Loophole Performance Eyewear filters out harsh light while dramatically reducing glare. Whether you're hiking through the backcountry, dialing in at the range, or navigating the daily grind, Loophole's crystal clear lenses will keep your eyes protected and your vision fresh all day long. Learn more about Loophole Performance Eyewear at loophole.com. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. All right, welcome back. I want to thank Rob Pincus for joining us in that segment. It was a great couple days of training with him here, and uh, we will certainly have him back. He's no stranger to Cape Gunworks. And someone else who is also no stranger to Cape Gunworks, he's a, a local Second Amendment advocate attorney here in Massachusetts. I'm sure you do other things, Keith, but that's what I know you for. So welcome to the show. I hope you can hear me okay. Are you there? I'm here. I appreciate you coming on the show, and got a couple questions for you but before I do why don't you give us a quick background on your practice and what you do and obviously you're a second amendment uh believer yourself but uh what what brings you to uh you know what what type of law do you typically do well to the extent your listeners can hear me over this incessant background music I do a lot of firearms licensing cases and most of my criminal law work is defending people who are jammed up by alleged firearms law violations, as well as collections, general civil lit, and a fair amount of animal law, uh, replevin cases for animals, dog bites, things like that, cool. claims of aggressive or dangerous dogs. Interesting. So I'm sure, as they say, there's never a dull moment, right? <laughs> You have plenty of work these days, or is it slow? Is it busy? Has COVID affected it's your very, business? It's very slow at the moment. It comes in waves. Yeah, it comes in waves. Well, um, you know, we always have a plethora of questions on this show, um, as you've seen, you know, and chimed in in the past. And uh, one of the questions that came to me last week that was pretty interesting because I was having trouble. I thought I knew it inside and out, and uh, but I was having trouble that is there really no way for this to happen? And what it was, it was a person whose parents lived in, say, Montana, I think it was, and the father passed away and he left all his guns to him. And there was a variety of guns, some long guns, some handguns, some shotguns and whatnot. And he wanted to 
bring them back to Massachusetts. Obviously, the long guns shouldn't pose too much of a problem with that, but the handguns, if they're not on the approved weapons roster, made it, you know, me scratch my head and think, well, how the heck does somebody legally inherit guns that aren't on the mass compliant roster? Because I'm thinking, normally you just have them shipped to the local gun store and they do the 4473 and the Mercs and whatnot. And, and, uh, but if it's not a compliant gun, how does the FFL go about doing that? And obviously it's not legal to give someone a, a handgun across state lines unless somehow, somehow inheritance supersedes that. I don't know. So I figured I'd ask you and, and, uh, see if you could shed any light on that. It's not a gift. Assuming the estate has been probated, step one, and assuming that the person receiving the guns is, in fact, an actual named beneficiary, the guns became the beneficiary's property uh, as soon as the will was probated, technically upon death, but you want the certification of the, the will in the probate court. So that being the case, it is the uh, beneficiary's property the moment the will is approved by the court. You can ship property from yourself to yourself. Hmm. You, you can't do it by the post office, but you can ship the guns to you because it's your property. At which point, when you receive them in Massachusetts, you f fill out the EFA-10 for each gun within a week of receipt. Got it. So it is possible, um, even if the gun is obviously not a compliant firearm because it'd be just like if you were moving here from out of state at that point and you just move into the state and you just the only and, difference being that if you bring the guns with you when you move there is no registration right unless you have them on the moving truck like you explained a few weeks ago right right if yeah. if you bring them with you when you move there's no registration if you establish a residence then go back and get them you have to register them got it because at that point you were a mass resident got it okay cool well that's ex that's great news because uh and it is that if someone was going to do that do they use the inheritance tab on the e40 on the e uh fa10 form for that or do they just hit the register yeah it, it's a it's a registration uh via inheritance okay but it's basically just a straight registration the bizarre issues seem to be what an actual inheritance is yeah. Uh, on NES ages ago, when I first put what became a sticky uh, before I was exorcised from NES, people were asking, Dad wants to give me his guns, can I inherit them? Well, only if you wait till he's dead. <laughs> and only if he specifically names you as getting the guns in the will. People thought that you could inherit from living people. No, learn what inheritance means. You can't. Okay. <laughs> so, Plus, the fact that you know, you're his favorite nephew, so what? You did not inherit them unless you were named in the will. Got it. Or if you're a family member of such close proximity that in the case that there is no will, you're a presumed heir, which is basically spouses and children. Mm -hmm. So if there was no will, dad and mom pass away, there's a collection of guns, you're the presumed heir, 
the same type of rules would apply. Just ship them to yourself. You can't ship them yeah. to an FFL, right? Yeah, depending on who else you're competing with for the assets of the estate. Hmm. So those are, are fact-driven issues. Sure. Uh, what I usually see is mom and dad have reciprocal wills. She gets everything when he dies. He gets everything when she dies. They don't make provisions for the children. Hmm. So dad dies. Mom is the representative of the estate. She doesn't want the guns. She wants the kids to have them. Fine. Well, Dad didn't think to put them in the will, so they never revised the will. So then she has to do it under the authority she has as representative of the estate, which varies depending on what state you're in. Hmm. Uh, But the representative is responsible for marshalling the assets of the estate and providing a report to the court when the will is probated, or if there is no will, uh, filing as uh, executor of a, a small estate saying, this is what we have, there's no will, these are the few assets, and as long as the presumed heirs are all in a sense, you can distribute the assets of the estate, okay. which is more paperwork uh that's not a direct inheritance, that, but that's coming through the estate from the personal representative of the estate. But the rules may vary if you're not in Massachusetts. <laughs> so what you're saying is it's clear as mud. Hire a good attorney and <laughs> hope for the best, right? But get your ducks well, only, in order ahead of time. Only if it's out of state. Yeah. If it's out of state, you'll need an, an attorney in whatever state it is to clear up the estate. Uh a small estate is really not a big deal. It's very simple in Massachusetts. Uh, if there's no will in Massachusetts, then you file as such. And what you want is the approval of the probate court saying, yes, this person can handle the assets of the estate. And yes, we approve the distribution because the presumed heirs all agree. All right. And they've got well, 180, 180 days to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that clears that up. So I, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm at least thankful to know now that it is possible. I didn't even know it was possible. And I thought I had a pretty good handle on that. But, uh, you know, basically what I'm hearing from you is make sure the ducks are in order ahead of time to make it easy and, and not, you know, have this, you know, situation where they're in limbo and can you or can't yeah. you, blah, blah, blah. Like everything else. Uh, anticipation is the essence of preparation. These people die without a will, so if you leave a mess for everybody else to clean up. Mm. Yep, I hear that. All right, well, thanks so much for that insight, Keith, and I'd love to have you on again, uh, and we'll clear up some other issues that come up all the time here at the store, and uh, I appreciate your your vast knowledge on the subject, and uh, if you want to go ahead, uh, we'll throw your name and number up there, so if people have any questions or need representation, we'll get you get them in touch with you, and uh, so you know, uh, put you to put you to work, so to speak. But I appreciate that, and uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. I'm Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Made in America since 1949 family owned and operated legendary performance this is hornady
May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Snap safe. Featuring a pry-resistant 316-inch solid steel door, 2300-degree Fahrenheit one-hour fire shield protection, and a lifetime warranty. SnapSafe, a modular safe with welded safe security. All right, welcome back. This is Toby Leary. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Join us each week, Saturday night from 7 to 8 p.m. on WXDK and on WCRN AM 830 if you're in the Boston Worcester area and we also have the podcast version podcast version of the show archived each week on our site so go to capegunworks.com click on rapid fire that's also how you can get signed up to be notified when we go live so we really appreciate everyone tuning in and all the questions we appreciate the guests let's get to some of your some of your questions here and uh we have a bunch that have piled up. Uh, KD6, when uh, Rob Pincus was on, uh, said, when I was young and stupid, I was anti-gun as well. You know, a lot of people were. And you, most people who have some sort of moral compass and don't fully understand the intellectual argument of gun ownership and never were raised with guns feel that, oh, I have this moral duty and obligation to be anti-gun. As you grow up and you learn and you can uh, take the emotion out of the argument and you can look at it objectively, you realize it's pretty stupid um, to be, you know, uh, a proponent of gun control and treat that different than any other object out there in the world, especially stuff that we have uh, constitutional rights for. Uh, Stephen's wondering if we have any more P80s in stock. And yes, we do. Um, so we do have some if you want to get on the um, quote-unquote uh, hobby, ghost gun, whatever you want to call it, ban. And I again, going back to that conversation with Rob, I don't agree with some of the terminology that is being put out there for, uh, you know, by gun control advocates. And ghost gun is one of those. Um, all guns should be ghost guns if you think about it. <laughs> I mean... Other than having a federal registry, which was found to be unconstitutional, there's, I think, 12 states or 10 states that do have a registry. Uh, Massachusetts is one of them, the state I call home. And uh, not all of them are, uh, you know, not all of them are uh, registered, but we are a registration state. So anyway... Um, Let's get to some more of the questions. Uh, Mr. Tech wants to know if we have any FDE Berettas coming in and uh, had the eye on the one that was there but missed it. We do have Beretta 1301 Tacticals in stock at the moment. So uh, it's the marine finish, which is that like satin nickel color um, or satin stainless color. Um, so we have those. Uh, let's see. How often do we get used Beretta 92s in? David wants to know. Um, it was his sidearm in the service, and you can't find one anywhere. I don't get 
used Berettas too often, but I have some new ones in stock. So you could come on down and get one. We also have a really cool 22 conversion kit for the Beretta 92. So when 9 mil dries up, uh, we want to, we want to, you know, throw the 22 slide on there and you can go into your deep stash of 22 because everyone has deep stashes of 22, right? If you don't, you weren't a good hoarder in the last ammo shortage <laughs> or you didn't learn your lesson from the last ammo shortage. But anyway, uh, 22 is probably more, uh, you know, an easy caliber to keep, you know, a few thousand rounds on hand. But um, Katie Six says, thanks for the show. Do I prefer drop safety or manual? To be honest, I'm somewhat reluctant to carry a drop safety as I just got my first FN 503. Great pistol, but still reluctant. I would definitely recommend just have a safety on your trigger instead of a thumb safety, a manual thumb safety if it's a defensive weapon. So, um, and what are I? What are we hearing for turnaround time for LTC application and background check? Just got fingerprinted locally and was told it can take up to four months. Oh no, it can. It depends what town you live in. I've heard as early as one month and sometimes longer. So, all right, stay tuned. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Be right back. I'll do it on the way in. This is the first focal plane Diamondback Tactical. At the intersection of precision and value, the Diamondback Tactical First Focal Plane Rifle Scopes deliver an impressive array of features and performance. The XD optical system and fully multi-coated lenses transmit a crisp, bright sight picture. The First Focal Plane Glass Hatch Reticle keeps subtensions accurate throughout the 4X zoom range. Exposed tactical turrets and a side parallax knob give shooters the tools needed for long-distance precision shooting. The single-piece 30mm tube is ruggedly built to withstand recoil and impacts. Strong O-ring seals and nitrogen purging guarantee waterproof and fog-proof performance. Purpose-built to extend your effective range and stretch your dollar, the Diamondback Tactical comes equipped with the features you need at an unbelievable price. And it's covered for life by the Vortex VIP warranty. All right, welcome back. Toby Leary here from Rapid Fire. I'm co-owner of Cape Gunworks. And if you haven't been to Cape Gunworks yet, well, what took you so long? Come on down and we'd love to see you in the shop. You can get signed up for a class. Also, you can get signed up on our website. Go to capegunworks.com, click Rapid Fire. We're giving away a shotgun. Yep, you heard it here first. So we're giving away a shotgun. We'll give it away on next week's show. Uh, so make sure you sign up for that. Uh, we're going to give away a cool dickinson arms tactical semi-automatic 12 gauge shotgun it's a pretty cool shotgun if i don't say so myself so you want to go ahead and check that out and also this segment of the show is sponsored by vortex optics so we have a great selection of vortex in the shop and uh, you want to check them out as well uh, we're really happy to have them aboard so anyway after the last break i was getting your questions uh, before the last break we were getting your questions and uh, let's continue down. And uh, what are some of the Massachusetts organizations or newsletters that gun rights supporting people should be signing up for? Um, I would 
highly recommend that if you're a gun owner in Massachusetts, you get signed up for Gun Owners Action League. They do a very good job of Second Amendment ad advocacy as it relates to Massachusetts, and they do phenomenal work. Also, Firearms Policy Coalition has dumped some money into our state, especially when we were closed down because of COVID, um, to fight the governor and the attorney general's office and of those illegal shutdowns of gun stores. So Firearms Policy Coalition is a phenomenal group to send some money to, get subscribed to their emails. You'll be getting lots of them. Uh, the Second Amendment Organization, 2AO, is another great uh, group that has excellent advocacy um, and does some phenomenal work. Gun Owners of America um, and Com2A is another Massachusetts-based one that is worth sending some money, uh, spending some money on. Uh, I would also just be active in some of your, you know, local forums and boards, NES. Um, I will say that the gun industry is almost uh, at expert level of eating our own. So you got to sometimes, you know, drill down through some of the fluff because you know uh rob pincus the guest i had a couple segments ago has it's so funny you'll if you google it within three seconds you'll find someone on some foreign forum calling him anti-gunner rob because he advocated for under a, a huge list of uh exemptions after you check all the boxes of those exemptions having some expanded background checks not universal background checks but some expanded background checks and it landed him in gun ban world like oh he is a gun banner he's coming for your guns and which is just crazy talk and he was like he was alluding to is we need to incrementally be getting wins in the column not just pounding the table to people who don't understand the argument in the first place that all gun rights are an infringement because all gun control is an infringement and shall not be infringed, not another inch, come and take it, Mulan lobby, all that. Because they're not going to understand any of that and they're going to look at you saying, oh, you really are crazy and yeah, maybe we should ban guns. So let's have the honest conversation and say, maybe the Department of Mental Health should report to NICS and if somebody is a, a, a legitimate threat to themselves or others they shouldn't be able to buy a gun and pass a background check um, that we shouldn't rely upon the person who's been adjudicated as uh, mental mentally insane or you know um, has been adjudicated uh, you know a, a threat to themselves or others in a medical situation maybe they shouldn't you know be able to just buy a gun without a little expanded background check. I'm, I've advocated that for years and uh, feel like, hey, if we can keep some people who shouldn't have been able to buy a gun from buying a gun, that is where that whole system works. Not when the guy who comes in who's already been vetted by the state and the local PD and issued a license to carry and then they get a delay for three more days or five more days or whatever the they want to propose now, 20 more days. That's ridiculous. Um, but that's how it is right now. We have people who come in and they have 
just got their license to carry. So they've already been through a whole series of background checks. And then they, because their name is similar to their neighbors, they, or someone, someone else, uh, they end up with this three or five day delay, whatever. Go figure. Um, let's get back to some of your questions. Uh, Walk the Talk America is such a great group. They are working extremely hard to educate and uh, continue to save lives. I agree, Duncan. I, I'm a big fan of Walk the Talk America, and I think that is they're doing great work. Um, and uh, Diane Muller, who actually coined the phrase, I will not comply in the Capitol, uh, you know, in front of the Congress, when they were talking about uh, gun control and expanded gun control with like, uh, with, um, you know, they were talking about banning enhancements, like a trigger or a uh, scope, all this crazy talk the last time there was some big push for gun control. Uh, she said, well, as a former law enforcement officer, I shall not comply or I will not comply. And um, she also is doing some great work and has this hashtag, hashtag doing something. And she likes to point out, and it's a great way to do it, all the stuff that gun gun rights groups are doing every day to make America a better place to make our communities safer to make um, people aware of the conversation that's to be had around uh, gun control and law and uh, responsible gun ownership so yeah that's pretty good um, let's see uh, can you purchase 25 round mags in New Hampshire and then take them to your summer house in Maine to stay absolutely um, I don't see why not Maine and New Hampshire do not have magazine restrictions so you'd be fine with that. Um, Fortune, you're not being censored by us, but I don't know who you mean you're being censored by. Uh, let's see. Uh, they're setting up innocent, law-abiding citizens. That could be true, but you might have stepped in the trap, so beware of that. Um, and hey, Tom, good to see you. Uh, let's see. Any and all gun control laws are inherently in illegal. I would agree with that. And it's easy to pound the table and I get it and I believe it. So let's work towards getting rid of gun control um, and work towards shall not be infringed. Uh, is the Beretta 1301 LE that we have on gun broker not available in mass? It is available in mass if you are law enforcement, um, but because it has a larger mag capacity than five rounds and it's semi-automatic, that makes it too dangerous for you if you live in Afghanistan. So you are subject to five round limits here. Again, that would be another good place to have these arbitrary infringements go away. Uh, do they make the Shield Plus and 40 cal? Not to my knowledge yet, Mac, um, but it will be coming, I'm sure. Um, any war stamped P-38s? We are fresh out. Uh, sorry about that, Greg. And Terry's wondering, uh, says, thanks for the new edition. Tom loves it. That's great. I'm glad it put a smile on his face. Um, for the first time in a long time, we have some bulk ammo for sale. We have 308, and we have some buckshot, and we have some 223. So that's a good sign of hopefully things to come. So I would love to see bulk ammo being brought in more regularly, and we can sell it in bulk. So that'll be good but i appreciate you guys listening uh don't forget our shotgun giveaway 
um, on our website. Go to capegunworks.com and click on giveaway and sign up for that. Um, check out all of our show sponsors for sure. And uh, we'd love to see you next week. So get signed up so you're alerted to when we go live and be a part of the discussion. Uh, don't forget the class is coming up. And we'll see you again next time on Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Thanks so much.